Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Providence Journal presents Nick and Bob, the college basketball podcast for Rhode Island and around the nation with your hosts, Kevin McNamara and Bill Koch. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Providence Journal's Pick and Pop podcast, our weekly look at the college basketball scene, the uh, mid Christmas New Year break here. Uh, the schedule is about to pick up in a major way in the next couple of days, both uh, in the Big East and the Atlantic 10 about to begin conference play. We have a little bit of non-conference play left to go. Uh, and the Northeast Conference begins its conference play this weekend as well. So we have quite a bit uh, to t- touch on here. I'm Kevin McNamara of the Providence Journal alongside uh, Bill Koch. Bill, Christmas, we sailed through Christmas, no problems? Yeah, into Christmas, uh, through Christmas, just fine, ready for the new year, and you're ready for the business end of the college basketball season now. Conference play, it uh, you know it's an exciting time. Uh, you got URI playing well, Bryant playing well, uh, and Providence with the opportunity ahead, starting with Georgetown on New Year's Eve. Yep, looking forward to uh, this. This is always one of the best times of the year for me because you can truly. I, this is the halfway point of the year. A lot of people say, "Well, you know, you know we'll, we'll take a look at college basketball halfway through conference play." No, there's too many games that have been played already. Everyone's in about a dozen games apiece, uh, and. Uh, with the various measurements and metrics and polls out there, you can really get a feel for who's playing well, uh, who's off to really good starts. And I think we've seen year after year, if, if you don't get off to a good start, you won't be playing in March Madness. That That's number one. And uh, we have a couple examples of that right here uh, in Rhode Island with uh, Providence off to a very shaky 7-6 and six start and Rhode Island off to a very solid start at 8-3, uh, and three, uh, but kind of missed three chances uh, to get those valuable wins that the NCAA tournament committee is looking for. But uh, we're going to start with the Friars because they open Big East play tomorrow. Tomorrow night, uh, 5.30 at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. Uh, uh, Patrick Ewing and the Georgetown Hoyas come to town. And, uh, you know, right out of the gate, um, the Friars are looking at a stiff test, Bill. Yeah, no question. Uh, Georgetown actually playing really well. They've won six straight um, in the top 40 in Ken Palm. Um, had a series of wins 
starting off with Oklahoma State, then SMU, then Syracuse, at a time where their program, Kevin, looked like it was in some trouble. Uh, you know, had some personnel issues, uh, had some off-court issues, uh, but it seems like they've weathered the storm and, and stabilized themselves here into Tuesday at Providence. Yeah, it's odd. It looks like they're better with the kids that they've lost, uh, uh, addition by subtraction. Um, and they're really leaning strongly on the NC State transfer. I think he's the best big guy in the league right now, Omer Yurtseven. Uh, off to a really good start with the Hoyas. Uh, he'll be a major, major focus for Ed Cooley and, and his front court. But uh, just uh, going to hit the Big East as a whole a little bit right here. I'm in the process of writing a Big East breakdown and preview uh, for Tuesday's journal. And uh, the Big East is off to a very strong start. I, I think if you look at the teams... I don't think any of them get you excited on the national championship Final Four level. Mm. But uh, uh, right now, again, means nothing. But the prognosticators out there have as many as, well, nine teams really are in the mix. Uh, Joe Lenardi, for example, I think he has eight of ten Big East teams in right now. Mm. Uh, you know, they've they, This edition of the league has gotten as high as seven one time. And I, I think uh, everyone would be thrilled with seven um, you know in March if that was the case but right now in the net the NCA's net which, which is really the only measurement that, that counts because that's what the NCA goes off of on selection Sunday Butler is four Villanova 20 Creighton 25 Georgetown is at 30 Seton Hall with four losses is at 33 Marquette 35 DePaul the surprise of the league is at 39 11 and one. St. John's is at 49. They're 11 and 2. Xavier is at 53. Uh, your Providence Friars are the only team that's not in the top 60. Uh, they're at 129. So Providence is clearly uh, is off to the worst start in the league by far. Uh, and that begs the question, Bill. You know, I think we both know that NCAA tournament talk at this point is really not relevant for Providence. Sure, uh, they would have to win 12. 13 Big East games, well, that's a school record. So I, I, I think if you're Ed Cooley, you're like, we want to take care of Georgetown uh, at home, and then we go on the road for two difficult games uh, this weekend at DePaul and then uh, at Marquette on Tuesday. Uh, you just got to get off to a decent start. The last thing this team needs is more losing because I, 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 you know, they, I think they righted the ship with a good win against Texas at home mentally. But uh, now it's time to build on it. Might have wanted to go out and play the next night right after the Texas game. Yeah. Uh, because it was one of the most intense efforts that Providence has produced this year. Uh, certainly at the defensive end, Texas didn't look like they had any clue offensively and, and looked like a team, quite honestly, who hadn't really played a very strong schedule coming in. Uh, hadn't really tested itself on the road uh, or necessarily against you know teams in a neutral floor. They had a good win over Purdue. Uh, lost to Georgetown on a neutral floor. And then other than that, a bunch of teams who were 120 and higher in Ken Palm. So Mm -hmm. not necessarily a a team that had really sharpened itself against the iron. And and Providence exposed them. Uh, It was a really good effort defensively. Uh, Something that that Providence has been able to hang their hat on. They do have a top 50 defense, according to Ken Palm. Uh, You know, and just... Speaking of the Big East and, and looking at the success of the rest of the league, uh, you have seven teams with at least one quadrant one win, and you know that's why if if you're a Providence fan and you're looking for a silver lining or a glass half full, it's nothing but opportunity out there for the Friars. There, there's nothing but 
quality games that they're going to play here for the rest of the season. Yeah, the Big East was 101 and 25, which if you do your math, that's a little over 75% uh, winning percentage in the uh, non-conference. So uh, uh, I think John Paquette in his weekly uh, emails said it was the fourth best uh, non-conference winning percentage in the history of the entire league over 40 years. So uh, certainly the majority, well, all of the teams except Providence uh, are sitting exactly where you'd like to be right now uh, on January 1st, getting ready to enter league play. Um, uh, just flashing back a little bit more to that Providence-Texas uh, game. Uh, defensively, the Longhorns only shot 31%. Uh, we're only 3-for-21 from the three-point line. Uh, be honest with you, they looked like Providence the game before when Providence got annihilated by Florida. Right. Uh, you can't beat anybody when you score 48 points and shoot 3 for 21 from the three-point line. How about five assists? Five. five assists. That's nice. That's one assist every eight minutes, if you want to break it down. Uh, How is that possible? Uh, what is my friend Ken Palm... This is a quiz for Bill Koch because he's got quick fingers. Say the Longhorns are going to do in the Big 12. Uh, he predicts a 7-11 and 11 record for the Longhorns in I'll, the Big 12. I'll take the under. Yeah, as of today. The league is good, as usual, the Big 12. To win seven in that league is basically you're a, like a bubble team. Yeah, That was not a bubble team that I saw uh, 10 days ago here. You know, just watching that game, and I, I saw it on TV, I wasn't able to be there. Um because you or I obviously had a game uh, against Western Kentucky the same day. What does Texas really do well? What is their defining characteristic under Shaka Smart? When he was at VCU, it was havoc defense. It was forcing turnovers. It was putting pressure on the opponent. He made that into their identity, and it was something that they did year in and year out. At Texas, whether it's because he's recruited some one-and-dones or, or maybe he hasn't necessarily had those four-year building block type guys that he had at VCU, I just don't get a feel or, or a sense from Texas that there's any sort of program identity there. Well, I'm with you. Uh, they've certainly been hurt by one-and-done departures. Uh, the last, I think it was the last if not the last three years, certainly the last two, with, with big guys. And big guys are obviously you know, special level, elite level Im- like, impact Like players. Jackson Hayes would look great on this team. Thank big you very time. much. And then who's the guy with, the, um, with Brooklyn? He's only, th- well, he might only be in his second year. Um, I can't think of his name. Uh, same thing. Jump out of the gym yeah, 6'10 Mo Bamba. guy. Well, he had Mo and Bamba. Bamba. Sure, Mo Bamba would help a he had, lot. He had Jackson Hayes. Uh, um, you know, if those two guys would be on this team together, which is yeah, pretty scary. They're to in think. the top ten. Pretty scary to think yeah. about. Uh, but you know, Matt Coleman is the senior point guard. You know, good player. Courtney Ramey is a good player, and they're really excited about Jericho Sims, uh, a young big guy. A- after that, they're just okay. And at Texas, you can't be just okay with three guys. You you, you need half a dozen seven or eight so um he's certainly been hurt by by early departures but uh to your point they don't get after you uh like vcu got after you no and maybe he thinks he can't do that in the big 12 level i'd give it a shot if i was shaka but uh and i know the people at texas kind of scratch their heads too they're like well this isn't really the guy who we thought we were getting right good coach you know fine 
but uh, there's no havoc in Austin. Jared Allen is the guy you're thinking of. Jared uh, Allen, who was who was previous to yes. to Bamba, and, good player. Um, you know, but yeah, you know, and and I look at his VCU teams and I look at their makeup, and you know, they were older teams. They were sort of chip on your shoulder type of guys. They weren't these blue chip top 50 recruits who have been told from the time that they're 11 years old that they're special and going to be great. Uh, and, and if you'd like to go in on one and dones, that that's fine. You know, But you understand that year over year it's going to be difficult to build some continuity uh, and to build a roster. You're in a constant state of flux. Uh, you always want the talent. Any coach would want that. You're not going to refuse Jackson Hayes if he walks through the door and says, I want to play for Texas. Um, but I would say that maybe they haven't necessarily built the team around those guys that has the three or four seniors in a given year, uh, the guys who are going to be all over the place on defense and you know, sort of have those, those gritty road wins, those cultural wins that VCU seemed to get year in and year out and, and made them very dangerous going into the NCAA tournament year in and year out. Uh, you know, I just don't think that that style has translated to Texas as much as you know, they've had some success. Uh, you know, I, th- I think it's been sort of lukewarm compared to what they might have expected, and, and I think we saw a, a pretty good 40-minute demonstration of that uh, on December 21st. Right. Um some red flags in that Providence game. You know, I think you look at the score, 70-48, you're like, wow, you know, Providence played great. Well, they didn't. Uh, they played great defensively. Offensively in the second half, they were not good. They uh, scored 27 points, uh, shot 31% from the floor, one for seven from the three-point line. Mm. Uh, that's eye-opening to me, and, and I'm, I'm sure after Christmas break, when everyone get back on campus, uh, this is still an offensively challenged team. And, and we're going on two straight years in a row now where Providence is fighting to get to 70 points in every game. Uh, maybe f- fighting to get to 60 against really good defensive teams uh, that, they, that they'll face in the Big East. That's the concern going forward. And you know we know who the guys are who have struggled offensively uh, for the Friars, whether it's A.J. Reeves or a Luan Pipkins or a Malik White uh, really go up and down the lineup. Uh, and then turnover problems with the Alpha Diallo, missed free throw problems with an Alpha Diallo. Th- these are offensive problems that uh, they're not all going to disappear, folks, uh, with a snap of a finger or, or with one win over Texas. Uh, they're here to stay, and Ed Cooley just needs to work around them and hope that this team can get better. But my take on the Friars and the Big East is that they can they can be really improved from where they were a week or two ago and still be 7-11, and 8-10 and 10 in the league. Because the league is good. The league that, is good. Yeah. You know, uh, you, you want to go to DePaul on Saturday. Well, Providence is going to be the underdog. I mean, there's no question about it. You, you want to go to Marquette next Tuesday, Marcus Howard – they might be eight-point underdogs. Right. Um, so I'm not quite sure what the fans are thinking, if they think that Providence can snap the fingers and, and be a, a contender, upper-level contender in the Big East. But uh, 
I, I'm not looking for that. One thing I do like uh, out of Providence the last two or three games, Alpha Diallo has had 12 rebounds in three straight games. Uh, he's only taken six three-pointers in that time. And, and I think that you know Alpha has always worked best at Providence when he's an undersized four. Mm-hmm. I think he's a really difficult matchup. He rebounds above his size. Uh, but he's not a guy who's going to hurt you from deep. He started the year, first three games, took 21 three-pointers. Mm-hmm. And, and that, to me, that's sort of trying to show off a skill set for the next level that I don't necessarily think is there and it doesn't necessarily best benefit this Providence team. I, I think if Alpha is willing to get in the paint, get his hands dirty and, and get on the glass, I think he's as good as anybody in the Big East in terms of you know that undersized three or, or four guy. Uh, you know, And I think that his leadership is going to be really important. We've talked about this before on the podcast. Uh, you know, Providence is seniors. They've got 18 games here to, to stand up and be counted because as it stands right now, they're going to miss the NCAA tournament for the second straight year. Uh, and I'm certain that that's not the legacy that they're going to want to leave after playing it at their first two seasons under Ed Cooley. No question. Um, okay, we're going to transfer uh, to the Rhodey Rams. Uh, while the world was watching the Patriots meltdown at Foxborough Stadium yesterday, Ooh. Uh, David Cox took his team Ooh. into, is it Murfreesboro? Is that Murfreesboro. Murfreesboro, yes. Tennessee. The it's, hometown uh, of David Price. A spot I've never been to, mm. um, which is kind of near Nashville, right? Yeah, Nashville suburbs. I, I think that's right. Um, also the hometown of uh, Jalen Lindsay. Lindsay. Yes. Former Friar. Yes, that's right. That's right. So, yes, it is near Nashville now that I think about that. And uh, Rhode Island with a really impressive 89-62 win. Uh, over Middle Tennessee, a, a, a really weak Middle Tennessee team. And uh, as Bill, you said before we started here, uh, Rhode Island did what you're supposed to do to these teams, uh, doubled up on them in the first half, 48-24 at halftime, totally cruised from there. Uh, you can talk about the offensive numbers. One of the better offensive outings of the season for Rhodey. Just never gave them a chance, and, and that's exactly what you want as a favorite in a game like that, especially a favorite on the road, a team that's going you know, outside of New England, recorded their first non-conference road win outside of New England since 2014-15, which mm. I tweeted that out the other night. I was shocked to see that because I look at URI as a team that over the last two or three years has been very good in the Atlantic 10 on the road. Uh, the two NCAA years, they were 7-2 and two both seasons uh, in conference play on the road. Uh, so a team that is no stranger to winning away from the Ryan Center. I, th- I think it just comes down to the fact, though, that you don't get too many chances uh, against teams that you can beat if you're an Atlantic 10 team. You're playing Power 5s. Your road team, your your home teams are going to win seventy five, eighty percent of those games. So it's going to be very difficult to to knock somebody off. But and you might be playing two of them a year. That's right. Two road games. Yeah, there's, there's not going to be many. Yeah. Uh, you know, but Rhodey really did the job uh, against Middle Tennessee. Six players in double figures. It's the first time that's happened since twenty ten. Uh, you know, just really, really impressive performance, and you know, one that gave them a nice bounce in terms of Ken Palm. They went up. Uh, you know, seven spots from eighty-one to seventy-four gave them a nice bounce in the net as well. Uh, you know, and that's mainly because they played so efficiently in a road game. That's right; they were able to score on the offensive end and prevent Middle Tennessee from scoring on the defensive end. It, it, it was a very, very complete performance by the Rams. And uh, if you told me that Fats Russell was going to be two for eleven from the field, zero for five from the three, I'd say, "Oof, that looks like they have a chance to lose on the road." And it was not a factor because uh, Jermaine Harris with a season-high 17. 
uh, Antoine Walker, and actually I'm going to talk about him in, in just a little bit, uh, was in double figures. Um, uh, Fats really ran the team well with 10 assists. Uh, five steals. Five as well. steals. He, 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 uh, if we haven't figured it out by now, uh, Fats has a chance to lead the country in steals. He, he's in the top five, I think, coming into that game. And at five, he, he might be even higher uh, you know, going forward here. But, um, Bill, I, I'm curious. You saw Antoine Walker uh, live in the win over Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky. Yep. Uh, no one saw the game yesterday because the, the stream wasn't working. Um, what's your impressions there? It certainly seems as if he's given this team a, a, a really valuable lift. Yeah, uh, looks pretty skilled. Obviously, good size. Uh, they're listing him at six seven accurately now, uh, instead of that nonsense at Georgetown where they said he was six foot nine. I stretched him out. A uh, complete lie. Yeah. Um, you know, but he he is fit in very well uh, these first two games. Uh, you know, played seventeen minutes against Middle Tennessee. Uh, I think he played nineteen minutes against Western Kentucky. Came off the bench both times. Um, he's the type of guy who, who's going to slot in for Cyril Angevine or for Jermaine Harris up front. He, he's that four or five-ish type player, uh, the modern four or five-ish undersized, skilled, uh, can make a jump shot, can get to the glass. Uh, you know, he's that type of guy. Um, you know, he's a willing passer. Uh, I, th- I think I saw that against Western Kentucky. They had him in the high post a little bit, uh, and he was looking for his teammates, which is good to see. Um, could be a very valuable piece here going forward uh, because obviously you, know, you need that sort of front court depth. We, we've seen Cyril in the past, not necessarily last year, but he occasionally gets into foul trouble, and, and you're going to need somebody to help him out. Uh, Jermaine Harris, obviously no stranger to foul trouble, and, and Dana Tate has been suspended the last three games, and, and so... You're looking at Rhodey, you're playing a little bit of a bigger lineup. Uh, they don't have a guard to back up Fats and, and Jeff Doughton. Uh, so David Cox is, is managing that situation well by staggering their minutes. Um, but he's playing three forwards uh, a lot of times here. And, and I think you know having Antoine Walker become eligible uh, for that December 21st win over Western Kentucky came at the ideal time. So the Rams have uh, one final non-conference game left. And it's a, it's a really intriguing one. They'll be at Brown on Thursday night uh, in what should be uh, close to full Pizzatola Sports Center. Yeah. Uh, Brown is a funny team. Uh, I, I've seen them several times. Uh, I think, uh, did you watch the Duke game a little bit? I did. Uh, they were at Duke on Saturday and played the Blue Devils uh, strong, I'd say, for uh, you know, uh, about 30 minutes. Yeah, close to 30, maybe 25 minutes. Uh, you know, never had a chance to win the game, but but hung and hung tough. Um, I'll be very curious to see. And we've we've seen Brown several times at home. They are a different team at the Pizzatola Center. Be really curious to see what they can do against a Rhode Island team that has an awful lot of advantages. Uh, that that's a game where Fats Russell is is such a valuable weapon because Brandon Anderson uh, is their Fats Russell, right? And Russell's better. Right. Um, they're a little different, but then again, the same in that they're scoring point guards that have the ball in their hands. Uh, it, it's a very intriguing game. I think the biggest 
area of growth for Fats this year is you look at his shooting yesterday against Middle Tennessee, and, and you know maybe last year if he wasn't scoring, he wasn't necessarily helping them as much as, as say, he could have. Uh, this year he's found other ways to affect winning, as Dan Hurley always used to say. The 10 assists were career high. The five steals uh, you know, suggest the havoc that he's creating on defense. Um, the fact that he only turned it over a couple times while playing all those minutes uh, and having the ball that often. He's really grown and matured and you know his game is much more complete than it was his first couple of years where he's pretty much only a scorer. Um, and I, I look at you know what Duke was able to do against Brown. You know, obviously Duke has athletes that that URI doesn't necessarily uh, in size rent size up yeah. front. Of course, with a guy like Vern Carey who who really hurt Brown inside. Um, but I saw Duke very aggressive on the wings, ambushing ball screens, being very aggressive, pushing Brown's offense. You know, back out towards mid court. Uh, I think that's something that Rhode Island did to Brown really effectively last year. I think it was a 71-51 final at the Ryan Center. And, and I remember thinking going into that game, you know, Rhodey was a little shaky and Brown was playing well in the non-conference last year. Uh, I remember thinking that, that Brown might have had a chance to win that game. Uh, you know, And Rhode Island just came out and physically set a tone that, that Brown couldn't necessarily match. And I think that's the key for URI in this game. They're going to have the better athletes. They have more size up front. Um, they need to come out and just be tough on defense, make life difficult for Brown, not let them run their offense. And, and if they're able to do that, I think URI, if they're able to dictate the tone and the tempo of this game, they should win it again fairly easily. Mm. No, I, I'm with you. Uh, how they attack, uh, again, Anderson, Zach Hunsaker, and uh, the ball handlers. Uh, I remember last year's game, and they kind of overwhelmed them with their speed and quickness. That's right. And uh, that's what they'll be looking to do. Desmond Cambridge, had a, as well. Desmond Cambridge had a really tough night yeah. uh, shooting. He, he was uh, 2 for 11, 0 for 9 from 3, and... and that was a guy who we looked at and said, well, how is you or I going to match up with him? Uh, mm. Jared Terrell's gone. You're not necessarily going to be able to bully him around the court. Well, they did it anyway. Yep. Uh, you know, so that's that's one of those things that, you know, if you or I is aggressive and plays the game the right way, it should be an easy night. But if Brown is executing and, and they're making shots uh, and they're doing a decent job of forcing you or I to settle for shots from the perimeter on the offensive end, they could make life really hard for the Rams. Uh, uh, Brown is now one in five. They played six road games, one in five. Mm. Uh, that's why they're five and six. That's right. <laughs> you go on the road six times. That's right. Uh, good luck to you. Um, so they return home for uh, the roadie game, and then they have a little bit of a break before they play open Ivy League play uh, with that strange home and home deal with Yale. And usually they throw in a game against. I think it might be Johnson and Wales. Johnson and Wales, January seventh. Uh, the the one. Brown road win that you reference is looking better by the day because it came in the season opener at Bryant. And, and Bryant yeah, yeah. is looking pretty good so far. Now, Bryant is really another intriguing team because uh, I think they're done with uh, non league play at seven and five. And Eight and five. Oh, Eight and five. Oh, they haven't, they haven't, must have a non league. They did. Yeah. Uh, Northern Vermont was yeah. a non D1. Um, so eight wins, seven D1. Uh, four road wins, you know, four and four on the road is is that's the difference in this Bryant team and previous ones because they have to play road games and to have eight road games and come away with four wins, 
that's why they they're you know feeling really good about themselves heading into NEC play, which opens Thursday. Kind of a fun doubleheader, uh, fans. If you get the week off, a lot of people aren't working this week. Four o'clock, you can watch Bryant uh, up in Smithfield play St. Francis of New York, I believe. PA. PA. Okay. Yeah, this one's PA. Um, uh, at four, and then fast break over to the east side and watch Brown and Brown, URI at seven. So it's it's doable. Yeah. Um, Could be. But uh, Bryant, really, really important home weekend to get off to a good start uh, in the NEC because on um, Saturday they will host, you told me and I forgot already. Fairleigh Dickinson. Fairleigh Dickinson. Who's a good team. See, I try to do these things off the top of my head, fans, and and, uh, my my head is a little soft after the holidays where Bill has a beautiful Providence Journal Dell computer that uh, I... The truth is, I can't work mine in the studio. <laughs> Bill can work his anywhere. I cheat. Yes, but well, no, you have you have more technological skill than I, I, I do. I but um, uh, right, uh, Bill uh, Bryant, uh, you know, good for them. You know, really good non-conference. Uh, they found out an awful lot about their team, but it's all about the NEC play and uh, winning home games in that league is is really at a premium yeah it's going to be a one bid league like any other year uh you know st francis pa is is a contender year in and year out you have a chance to catch fairly dickinson maybe a little down they've struggled to start but they were an ncaa team last year and, and a lot of those guys return greg horrenda is still there as a head coach so you know what their pedigree is going to be like uh you know thursday obviously you you have to set some momentum uh for the weekend and and Bryant is coming in uh, off a loss at Maryland on Sunday, a, a game that they were competitive in for, you know, like Brown against Duke, probably 25, 30 minutes. Uh, and, and then Maryland's size at the end, you know, just sort of overwhelmed Bryant. Uh, you look at the rebounding numbers in this game. I, I don't know if I've seen many like this. Uh, 48 to 16 on the glass, Maryland's advantage. I, I noticed the same. And even at halftime, it was out of control. 27 to 9. And the score was fine. Was close. Yeah, it was a it was a very odd uh, development. Uh, mainly because Maryland was turning the ball over, uh, especially in the first half, uh, and Bryant has two good guards who keep you in any game. Adam Grant finished with twenty five points in that game. I Kenan Aduba uh, had eighteen. Uh, he was eight for fourteen from the field. Pretty good effort from him. Six assists, two turnovers. One of his best, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you know those two guys, if they're playing well at a high level, I, I think we've talked about this plenty in the past Bryant's going to have a chance to be in a lot of games if those two guys are playing well the difference this season the reason that they're eight and five is they have a few more answers in the front court and, mm-hmm. and a few more guys who they can throw out there the rotation is deeper it's longer and, and I think you know Bryant going into NEC play they are very well positioned starting with three straight at home they could get off to a really nice start here and, and really establish themselves at or near the top of the league. So uh, we will have a good chunk of... Uh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, we forgot to mention with Rhode Island, uh, after the URI, after the Brown game, they open league play. Uh, on Saturday, uh, hosting Richmond uh, at 1 o'clock? Uh, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday. 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 Sunday, Sunday against Richmond uh, at noon. At the Ryan Center, Sunday at noon, and uh, Bill, your, your take on the A10? It's it's been you know we we hit it a little bit off the top, uh, in that I think it's now five. What do we got? We got seven uh, of the of the teams in the top one hundred and five. Yeah, uh, on the net, uh, 
and URI has, you know, chances there uh, to make their way into the top, you know, 75, 50 consistently. They're starting non-league uh, play, so it happens against Brown, but uh, in the top 70 right now at 69, uh, you know, you want to get, you want to crack the top 60. So they're in position, but uh, really it was going to put a premium on some of the games that they have, most notably uh, double headers with uh, Dayton and VCU. Yeah, you, you look at the A10 as a whole. Uh, Dayton is obviously an elite team. They, they've spent time in the top 15 this season. Uh, they've played the best in terms of the non-conference, in terms of the schedule that they've played. Uh, you know, VCU has a nice home win over LSU, a, a win that's you know going to get better. Over the course of the season, you figure LSU is going to be a good team in the SEC. Uh, Davidson has underperformed, and, and that was another team that mm. you thought would be right there. They're only 6-5. and five. Uh, It's sort of a proving ground going into the A-10 with some of these teams in the middle. Uh, you've got four teams with double-digit wins, uh, but you're not necessarily convinced of how good they actually are. We're looking at Richmond. And St. Louis. Duquesne, St. Louis, and George Mason. Yeah, I, th- I think Duquesne has been exposed a little bit, right? A, a really, really tough loss at Marshall. Yeah. Uh, you know, on Sunday, a, a game that they were never really competitive in. And you, know, you look at Duquesne's strength of schedule, they haven't really played you know, teams who are any good. Uh, according to Ken Palm, no one in the top 100 yet. Strength of schedule here on the net is 302. Right. So r- really low. Yeah. Um, you know what? What I think is going to happen is that we will see VCU and Dayton at the top of the league. I think Davidson will snap back. They, they, they played a very tough schedule. Uh, they just lost too many times at six and five. Right. Um, but the key to the league uh, are the Rhode Islands, St. Louis's, and Richmond's teams in the top one hundred right now have had some good wins. Uh, they need to all be good because the key is to have six teams in the top 75 in March. Right. Uh, because then you have a chance to, to pile up some quad one and quad two wins, where if those teams fall behind, it's then your whole season comes down to those games against Dayton and VCU, and boy, that's putting an awful lot of pressure on yourself. That's right. Um, but uh, conference play begins. Uh, happy New Year to everyone, and we will be back next week with uh, some conference play to talk about, Bill. You get uh, big New Year's plans, Kevin Mack? I'm going to watch the Hoyas and the Friars. That'll be over at 7.30. Uh, hopefully I'll be done typing by 9. Yeah. And then who knows? <laughs> who knows? So, although it is amateur night. It is amateur night, as yeah. our friend Bill Reynolds always says. Uh, you know, So we encourage folks, uh, our listeners, to, to be safe, uh, to enjoy yourselves, and you know, to get 2020 off to the start that you want. Uh, you know, We hope the same for ourselves, obviously, and... You know, for all of our college basketball friends out there, uh, you know, promises to be uh, just like any other a very interesting year. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to "Where Secrets Go to Die: The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan" from the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.